Um, this past week, I was able to go to my parents' house in Arcadia, and my children and I were looking through some old albums. Now, that's always fun, right? And, I mean, we're talking about laughter, making fun, old haircuts, the way I used to look. I mean, all that stuff, you know, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, as I looked at our album, I, you know, as, as I looked at my father, I can't help but see so much of myself in him. You know, back in the day, I'm like, man, so many similarities. But as the children laughed at me, and as they say, look, this is what you're going to be like too someday. So, <laughs> And as, as I'm looking at my own children, looking to the future, I see so much of myself in them. And, you know, the old saying, the apple does not fall far from the trees. Such a, such a truism. And today's topic is, who is your father? Jesus confronts the religious rulers and, 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 and asks them, who is your father? Who are you about? And so we're going to be at a John chapter 8 30, uh, from verse 37 to 47. So let's rise. If you have your Bibles, I highly encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Okay, if you got your devices, flip on your devices, turn to John 8, 37. And as you look, turning there, I just want to review what Pastor Kenny preached on last week. And it's wonderful having so many people that are able to preach at our church. What a blessing. And you did a great job preaching that truth will set you free. Jesus says, I will set you free. Free from your sin. Free from the bondage of sin and the, and the consequences of sin. This is a very cutting piece of biblical uh, text here. And matter of fact, I'm just going to back up one verse to 36 to give a little bit more context. So this is God's word. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed, Jesus says. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your, your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Now here's verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one, of, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Your word is truth. Oh God, I pray that we would love you more by knowing you through the word. Holy Spirit, allow me to preach your word with power and conviction. And Holy Spirit, allow us to 
share with you through our hearts so that we will love you more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Wow. He says, your father's the devil. Okay, what is the issue here? The rulers, the religious rulers do, did not believe what Jesus claimed, that he is the truth and he's going to set them free. And not only that, they want to kill Jesus. There's a conflict going on here. Jesus keeps attacking false assurances throughout the Bible and throughout the Gospels. For example, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, they trusted in their self-righteousness, their works, by keeping the law. So Jesus definitely has, has attacked that in the Gospel of John. Right here, Jesus, like a skilled surgeon, okay, skilled surgeon, the greatest surgeon of all, does heart surgery right here. Jesus takes his holy scalpel and, in, and attacks their identity in Abraham. Now, who is Abraham? Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish people. He, was the fa- he is the father of the Jews. If there was a Mount Rushmore for the Jewish people, he'd be one of the faces on there. Okay? And he, in, in essence, the Jews believed that they were God's chosen people. So if you're in the line of Abraham through his lineage, they believed that they were God's chosen people. They would be saved. And this is where the Jews along with their, uh, the religious rulers, along with their law-keeping, felt confidence before God. And so here Jesus is attacking yet another false assurance. Just because you're Abraham's children doesn't mean you're God's people. He, he clearly says that. So how does he open them up? He opens them up right there. He takes a scalpel and cuts right into them and just kind of just gently opens them up. And it says, you are Abraham's descendants. So Jesus gives them that. He offers that up. Yeah, you're at least Abraham's uh, relative, blood relative, but he's on, Jesus is only talking on a physical sense. Uh, he offers that up. In verse 38 right here, it says, I speak, Jesus says, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Okay, there's, you see a big difference. With my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. So Jesus is clearly saying we have different fathers here. My father, your father. I do what my father says and I've seen from my father. You do what your father says to you. Well, the Jews take the bait, okay, and they reply. They take the bait, they swallow the the bait, and they respond back saying, Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father. And, And talking about their spiritual heritage, Abraham is our father. And but Jesus nails him to the hypocrisy. He just reels him in. Okay, he's reeling them in. And he says, if you are Abraham's children, act like Abraham. Abraham wouldn't be trying to murder me like you guys are. You're not acting like your father if Abraham is your father. So, I mean, basically, Jesus nails him even more. You're just simply copying the deeds of your father. Who's your father, right? They begin to bleed now. This hurts. This hurts. What do you mean? We're, we're not acting like our father Abraham. This, is, this cuts them. The incision's getting deeper and more painful, and they digress. These religious rulers digress. Instead of having a conversation, a debate even, he, they insult Jesus, you know, basically saying you're an illegitimate child. You're born of fornication. Okay, for, instead of having a, this, they go right there. Because we know who our daddy is. In essence, that's what they're saying. 
They digress, and Jesus is cutting deeper and deeper, and they say, we have one Father, God. That's what the religious rule said. God is our Father. Jesus gets deeper and deeper and gets to the core issue now. He's, just, he's ready to do some heart surgery. If God were your Father, you would love me. He goes, if, if you're about the Father, you would love me, because I'm from the Father. And then Jesus gets to the point and plunges a scalpel even deeper. Verse 44 Let's turn our eyes to that here. We're going to camp out in verse 44 a little bit. And here it is. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father, your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, your father speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature. For why? Because he is a liar and the father of lies. Boom. Your father is the devil. Satan is your father. And who is Satan? Who is the devil? Okay, the Bible teaches us he's a fallen angel who sinned against God. And God cast him out and he became Satan. Lucifer became Satan. He's a real being. This is not some, uh, some force. He's not some just some idea of good and evil. He is an actual evil being that wants to destroy you and me. He's head, he heads up a network of demon angels to do his work. So this is a real person. Bible says right here in verse 4, For he was a murderer from the beginning, and you, just like your father, are trying to murder me. You're copying your father. Jesus is get, digging deeper, deeper, deeper into these men. And the Bible says that the devil has no truth in him, and he's a liar, he's a father of lies. He speaks out of his own nature. This is what he does, because that's who he is, the devil. Now let's, let's, let's check out here in verse 44. Let's dig deeper now. When it says that you are of your father the devil, you want to do the desires of your father, he was a murderer from the beginning. So let's go to the beginning. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. How does Satan murder right from the very beginning? Well, God created the, uh, all creation in six days. He created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve is living in perfect harmony with God the Father. They're living in the Garden of Eden. And here Adam and Eve encounter Satan in the form of a snake. And chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Okay, This this is how the father of lies operates. This is how he murders. Now the serpent, that's Satan, was more crafty, sneaky than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, here's the a, here's a first push here by the, by the enemy. Indeed, has God said, he questioned God's word, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Satan gets even deeper now. He questions God's word. Now verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. He goes, God's lying to you. You're not going to die. You're going to be just fine. Take it and eat of it. For God knows, and then Satan starts to question God's character. He calls God a liar, first of all. Secondly, he goes, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Meaning God doesn't want what's best for you. He's, he's trying to keep good things from you. 
eat this and you will become like God. That temptation, that lie is still alive today in many different religions and the way of thinking. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Adam was standing right there the whole time, brothers. Man, Adam was sitting right, standing right there, listening to all this nonsense, and he didn't do anything about it. Now that he takes, he takes part in this. He should have stepped in. He didn't. But this is how Satan works here. Has God said? Does the Bible actually say that? Does the, is, this, is the Bible still relevant today? Or was that just for a context 2,000 years ago? Oh, that, that's old stuff. Has God said? We've all heard these type of conversations before. Has God said, you surely will not die. It's going to be fine. Surely God wants you to be happy. Do what you want. Do what makes you feel good. Oh, this is the environment that we work in. This is just how it's done. It's fine. Everyone does it like this. It's okay. Everyone cheats under taxes and fudges things. It's all right. That's just how it is. Surely you will not die, Satan says. You will be like God. Look at that lie. God doesn't want what's best for you. That's why he's keeping you from this fruit, Satan tells her. Satan tell, basically able to convince her or trick her that eating this fruit will give her greater joy and fulfillment than God himself. Now, sin is introduced into mankind right now in creation, and everyone begins to die. How is he a murderer? From that moment on, mankind began to die, and all of creation started to fall apart. I mean, this sin act, this sin that was introduced to Adam and Eve led to every death that you know. Everyone that you know has died, who has died physically, you could blame it on sin. Everyone who is sick, who, who, that, who's struggling with illness, you could blame it on sin. Everyone who has a broken marriage or, or struggling in their marriage, you could blame it on sinfulness. Everyone who's been, uh, who has, all the genetic issues of our time, sin has corrupted creation. It's a grace that we are able to function the way that we are. God covers us. Every mental, emotional issue that you know of or you're dealing with, you could blame it on sin. This is how Satan was a murderer from the very beginning. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. And we've been burying this ever since. You've got to understand, Satan desires to destroy you and me. He desires to destroy us. If you're not a believer, he desires for you to die in unbelief. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he desires to rob you of, of the joy of being with Christ. He's a destroyer. Now, you know, one of the things that came to mind as I was preparing for the sermon was back in the day when I used to coach, I guess over a year ago now, but we, we used to spend all day Monday, all day Tuesday. You know what we would do? Right now I read a bunch of books now, but back then I used to just watch tape, film of, of our opponents. I mean, no matter whether we won or lost that Sunday, here's another opponent coming down the, the pipe now. We had no time to think about that. It's over. We've got to move on. Monday and Tuesday we're studying the next opponent. And I'll tell you, what is it like studying for an opponent? It's like studying for a crash course final every week. 
You got to know these new people. You got to know their key players. You got to know their tendencies. You got to know their plays. You got to know what they like to do. You got to know what, what are their go-to plays when they need a play. You got to know what, what part of the field they're at. If it's a two-minute situation, what do they like? What they like to start off with lions or dragons, like throw screens. You got to know all that stuff. Why is that? Why do you want to know their tendencies? Why do you want to know what they do? Is because of this. As a football player, the game gets really slow. Games slow down when you know what they're going to do. The game is really fast and you're on your heels when you're not quite sure what the opponent is trying to do to you. So we spend hours and hours digging in tape, just kind of, oh my goodness, look at this set. Hey, when this happens, this is going to happen. You go, you go make a play right here. They're just, the players are just craving for that. Just give me that one edge that's going to help me make that play that's going to win the game. So just like in life now, I mean, when we know what the opposition, how he operates, we're able to act with decisiveness. We're able to see life a lot slower and move with confidence. So I'm going to spend some time here in verse 44 here. I think in, in, going back to John 8, 44. I just want to just talk about our, our adversary, Satan, a little bit. Okay? The Bible gives us different various names of Satan in the Bible. And I think these names are very descriptive of the type of uh, being that Satan is. He's called the devil, the adversary, slanderer. Satan is the accuser. He's called known as the tempter. He's known as the enemy. He's known as the evil one. Okay? He's known as the dragon. He's known as a prowling lion looking for someone to devour, looking out to destroy. He's, he's the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. He's known as the ruler of this fallen world. He's known as the god of this world. He's known as the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible also says he comes as an angel of light. And I think it's important now how he, how he operates Satan oftentimes does not come right at you. He comes usually through the back door. All right, so let's, I want to just turn here. 2 Corinthians 11. Turn to your Bibles in 2 Corinthians 11. And let's look, take a look at the scattering report that God gives us here. 2 Corinthians 11.3. This is going to be very clear when you match it up with what Jesus is in, in John 8.44, when we see uh, Genesis chapter 3, how he uh, deceived Eve and, 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 and tempted uh, Adam, 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth was just like L.A., major metropolis, a major trading port, a lot of money, a lot of affluence, educational institutions, uh, entertainment was high. They had incredible sport. So people had a lot of things going on, a lot of intellectual stuff going on. And so he writes this to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians uh, 11.3. This is what Paul writes. But I am afraid that as a serpent, that Satan, deceived Eve by his craftiness, his cunning, his sneakiness, his treachery, his trickery, his craftiness deceived Eve. Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. What is the Christian life about? It's about the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, our Lord. One of the tendencies, one of the reports that we find uh, we did every week was a gadget and a trick, uh, trick, uh, trick play re report to the players. All right, what are gadgets? These are like gimmick plays, double passes, uh, reverses, 
um, deep play action pass to try to throw the ball deep on you, stuff like that, where the offense, they try to uh, catch you off guard. And almost, this is the National Football League, they're kind of uniform in some ways. When they got to the logo areas when this would happen, now what are you saying, Rocky, what is a logo area? Teach us. Logo area is basically the 50-yard line where they have the logo of the, like at the Coliseum, they have the SC right there, right? Okay, at the Seahawks, you have the Seahawk logo there. That's the logo area. Because once you got past midfield, you're starting to get into their territory. You could, t- you could get a little bit less conservative. Okay? So this is, hey, watch that, guys. Hey, take a shot here. The gadget reports, hey, take a shot. Take a shot here. DBs, the defensive backs who had to uh, cover the deep end, will get a little bit more uh, cautious. They'll get more aware. Okay, this is where they're going to try to fool me, try to get me to suck up so I can throw it deep. And this is basically how... The enemy operates. He's about gadgets and gimmicks and tricks. This is who he is. And our players, when they, when they knew it's coming, they're like, all right, give it to me. Throw it up so I go intercept the ball. Make life, make the game a lot slower that way for them. Okay, they're not shocked. Now, where is the, 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 the logo area in our lives? It's in our minds, the Bible says, that, that the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness your minds will be led astray. This is the battleground right here, brothers and sisters. Our minds, this is where Satan messes with us. He gives us mind tricks to get us seduced or led astray. means seduced from loving purely Christ to other things of the world. Now let me give you a picture of this. Let's turn back to uh, one verse from uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.2. Let's move one verse back. Paul writes, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. So there are some godly jealousies, some righteous jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. Who's that? So that to Christ. And I might present you as a pure virgin. Paul talks about. There's an imagery, there's a picture of Jesus being the husband. We are the bride. So what is this... um, uh, let astray look like. Let astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It looks like this. You're seduced. Satan is seducing you and me from having special, undivided loyalties to something else. Satan seduces us in our minds to have loyalties to something else other than God. I mean, as Paul writes this, gives us this imagery of husband and wife, I mean, there's no relationship on earth that's more intimate than husband and wife. Okay, it's a special relationship, it's a covenant relationship. If your husband or if your wife has having special affection for somebody else outside the marriage, that's inappropriate, that's wrong. You should be jealous over that situation. This is what God's talking about. God desires our full affection, full undivided loyalty. Jesus first, everything else second, third, fourth, fifth, and onward. So, now let me just say this much. Um, What was going on at Corinth? Paul was writing about a bunch of false teachers coming in, and commentators think that, you know, they're preaching a false Jesus, a false gospel. So they're getting led astray to following after these other things, you know. So how does that fit into our church here? Jesus' church here at Evergreen SGV in 2018. John MacArthur comments this, the danger of false teachers po- that false teachers pose is that they shift the focus off of Jesus Christ, right, and onto rituals, ceremonies, good works, 
miracles, emotional experiences, psychology, entertainment, political and social causes, and anything else that will distract people. Remember, the reason why it's trick plays is you, they want people to be, have their eyes here and there and there and not focus on what they're supposed to do. That's how trick plays work in football because you lose your eyes. You're like looking, oh, whoa, whoa, and then before you know it, you're beat. This is how Satan operates. Now let's, let's, let's allow Jesus to do some heart surgery on us today. All right, let's take that. He's the good shepherd. He's the good surgeon. What, let me ask you this question here. Let's just trust the Holy Spirit to bring these things to mind, the things that perhaps are competing in our hearts for Christ. This is the question. What good things in our lives are seducing us from loving Jesus purely? What is it? For the Jews, they loved their Abrahamic line. They gloried in it. They were law keepers. And is the Abrahamic line a bad thing? Absolutely not. It's a good thing. It's good to know your family history. It's good to have, uh, have, enjoy your heritage. No question. Is the law of God a bad thing? Absolutely not. It's from God. It's a good thing. But the issue is that they made these things the ultimate thing in their lives. They made these things the source of their assurance. Not God himself, but Abraham's descendant. I keep the law of God. These things are from God, but they're not God. Where is your hope rooted? Is it perhaps young guys here, children, are you, saying, are you thinking, my parents are Christians, and we go to Evergreen, so I'm a Christian. Are you relying on the heritage of your parents? If you grew up in a Christian home, praise God. That's a grace. Are you believing that you're a Christian or you're saved because you're part of Bible study for everybody, that I know the Bible? The Pharisees knew the word, the Old Testament, like the back of their hands, too, let me just add. Are you believing that you're a Christian because you go on a mission trip or you've been to a mission trip? You feel like you're a Christian because you go to a Christian school or you go to a Christian university? Or you hang out with Christian friends? Are you feel, do you feel like you're a Christian because you don't cuss or drink any alcohol? Is that where you find your hope in, your assurance in? Now all these things I read off aren't necessarily bad things. They're good things. They're a blessing. But just as we've seen from the Jews, you can make good things and corrupt them to be bad things. That's how Satan works our hearts start getting too attached to these other things. Now, if, let me just say, have a word of uh, caution for anyone sitting here. And as your pastor, I want to say this. If, if you are struggling with any overt sin, outright this evil sin that you know you shouldn't be messing around with, you need to repent. All right? In Christ, there's absolute hope and assurance. But you must repent. You must, may, must not leave room for this in your lives. In your thought life, in your acting out, your private life, this has to be clear before the Lord. In no unclear terms, you have to deal with this. Now, I doubt many of us are promoting outright evil things. I mean, I look around, I get to hang out at church. I mean, most of you guys are great, good people. You know, I, I, it's, we're so blessed. 
But where in our hearts do we promote Satan's agendas? I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, are you about the American dream? You know, you want that career, you want to make that money, you want to, you want to have that home, you want to have those vacations annually. Do those things keep you back from following Christ? You're focused on your retirement, so I can't, I can't, I can't serve, I can't give, because these things need my attention. How about sports? Okay, I'm a sports guy. I'm the ultimate sports guy here, okay? I love sports. Sports is a good thing. But is sports taking over your affections, your heart? Are you not able to come to church regularly because you got basketball games on Sundays? Are you having to rush out of here and miss out on fellowship and just being able to pray and encourage one another because you got to get to your next basketball game? I love sports. But I'm not a sports guy when it competes with Christ. Is education ruling your thoughts and your lives? This is where I find my identity. This is where it's ruling me. Even ministry opportunities. Or are we overly focused on the family? Where our family, our marriage, our children compete with Christ in our lives. This is all satanic stuff. This is how in his craftiness, in his cunning, in his treachery, in his trickery, he gets our eyes everywhere else but Christ. This is how Satan works in, our, in the battlegrounds of our hearts. Remember this. Remember this. Hear these words. Satan doesn't care how you are deceived, just that you are deceived. Whether it takes an overtly sinful thing to distract you or a good thing distract you from loving the Lord. Satan's happy. Satan, our adversary, wants people to burn in hell with him for eternity. And if you're a Christian, he wants to rob you of the joy of being Christians and minimizing your effectiveness for the kingdom. That's who Satan is. What a warning. What an absolute dire warning there. But you know what? I just want to say this much. I know we're talking a lot about the opposition. Any good football coach would do this. After you talk about the opposition, you get the focus right back to your team. Why is that? The more you get enamored with the opponent, the more you're focusing on them, the less you're focusing on yourself. At the end of the day, you've got to go execute and do your job. Christians, at the end of the day, we're Christians and we need to do what God has called us to do. The only reason I talk about the adversary is so we know how he acts. We know how he works. I'm going to just finish off here. John 8, 47 here. God get, gets our attention. Jesus gets our attention right back to God. He says, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The focus is on God. We're not going to major on Satan, okay, at this church. We're majoring in Jesus. We're Jesus people. We're going to study and learn and look to Jesus. And what are some names in the Bible that, uh, that describe our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Yeshua is the Hebrew uh, version of Jesus. His name means God saves. He is the Messiah. He is called the light of the world. He shows us light in a dark world. He's called the bread of life. And he satisfies our souls. He's called the word. He's truth. And the truth will set you free, he says. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus with us. God with us. He's called the Alpha and Omega, the A to Z, the beginning and the end. That's our Lord. He's called the Lamb of God. He humbly, humbly died for our sins on the cross. 
He's called a lion of Judah, and he roars with majesty and power. Satan, that roaring lion, doesn't have a chance against our Lord, our roaring lion. He's called the high priest, and he prays for us constantly, continually. He's praying for you right now, saints. He's the great chief and the great chief shepherd who will never let you go. If you are in Christ, he will never let you go. John 10 says, I now let my people go. He will not let you go. He's called the Prince of Peace, and he settles our souls no matter what's going on right now in our lives. No matter what's going on, you have peace because he is the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. He has total and absolute authority. In essence, he is Lord. That's who we follow. That's who we look to. That's who we read in the text. That's who we preach. That's who we pray to. That's who we think about all the time. That's who we talk about all the time. That's who I dream about all the time. Jesus is our Lord. We keep our eyes on Jesus. As the adversary tries to get us, we are keeping our eyes on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how it's done. You keep your eyes on the Lord. You understand what's going on with the enemy, but at the end of the day, it's Christ. Christ God has got us. There are only two families in this world, just two. We're talked, we started talking about who's your father. There's only two. There's God's family, and there's Satan's family with everybody else. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, narrows the gate that leads to eternal life. So if you are captured in the lie right now, you know you're sitting here right now. You know you're not saved. You know if you were to die today, you know you're not saved. I got good news for you. If you desire to be in God's family, the Father has his arms wide open. The doors are wide open. But Jesus Christ has blown open the doors for you to walk to the Father. His arms are wide open. And all you got to do is run into his arms and call out to him, Father, I need you. Jesus, I thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish off with this here. I'm going to land the plane right now. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. I'm just going to read this. It's better that comes from God's word than me. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. God says, And working together with him, Jesus, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive what I'm telling you right now in vain. Your eternity depends upon it. Verse 2. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Listen here, brothers and sisters and friends. Behold, now is an acceptable time. Now is an acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, right now is the time. It's not tomorrow. The lie says that I got time. The lie says, oh, let me go home and think about it and pray about it. No, it's right now. Right now, the Bible says. Acceptable time is now. This is a, what a grace God gives us. You know, Jesus is, is so loving. 2,000 years later, he's still doing heart surgery on us. Whether those hardened hearts of Pharisees, whether, whether some were able to be saved or not, who knows? Some were. But I pray that there are not hardened hearts where that scalpel can't get through. His holy spiritual scalpel cut through that mess into our hearts and we're able to repent. 
If you're a Christian today and you're struggling with some sin, if, you, if God has brought up something into your heart right now, I thought something to your mind, Les, I'm thinking I'm, this, I'm loving these things too much. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give some silent time there. You need to repent now. Not later, now. Not till I talk to my husband. No, now. Not till I talk to my wife and kids. No, now. Do this before the Lord. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. What a privilege it is to preach. Oh, Jesus. You use a simple act of preaching to bring people to repentance because it's not man's word, it's your word. It isn't my word, it's your word. Wow, your word is powerful. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, do a work in the hearts of the saints in here right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring something to mind that we need to repent of. What is competing in our hearts for my absolute, complete love for you, Jesus? Father, I thank you. What a privilege it is to preach. God, I pray for those in here who do not know you yet, that today will be the day of salvation. Now is the time to be in your family. Father, thank you for having your arms wide open through your son, Jesus Christ, that we could repent and trust, Jesus, that you are Lord and you are gonna take care of us. Thank you, Father. Bless the remainder of the service for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.